Okay, folks, and welcome back to the Dad Bod Bible with Real Men Talk. An opportunity for men to actually talk about man shit. Andy Burroughs, good friend of mine, episode four. We were back in the MMA days when it was cage fighting and headbutts were allowed and it was oh, a bit oh. insane. How are you keeping? Not too bad, mate. Thanks for having me on the show for a start. Thank um, you very much for coming on. Well, you, you probably should have started this about 10 years ago, to be honest with you, because I think it's a a really good platform and i think somebody like you will be very very good at this you're you know you just have that good personality you're good on camera um and i do, I do think this will be a massive success for you so all the Thank best you very much I'm, try, I'm trying i'm trying to i'm trying to be more joe rogan and be fucking on the fence with things and this, this is my this is my zen lessons yeah uh, well tell you what's the best way to do it in fairness yeah. you know, i think it's a great medium and the good thing is as well people like you have such a vast you know, bank of people they can talk to all the time, you know, from fitness professionals, nutrition professionals, all this right down to people like me who are, again, spoke fitness professionals as well, but also have been involved in combat sports with you right at the genesis, the ground level. For me, this uh, podcast actually, well, I started Dadbot Bible five years ago, just came up with it one night. When, when I was in the shower and couldn't see my dick anymore because my stomach was like it. I was like, the kid was seven months old and I was like, oh, geez, I'm a trainer and I'm like this. So if I'm like that, what other dads are like that? And that's just where that this would evolve like. But this this podcast itself came up because we mainly to start talking about things. You know, like I, I haven't been shy about my, my uh, mental health issues. So I and I do like to talk. I'm very introvert, believe it or not, but um, I do like to talk to people I know and have good chats and good debates. And you know what? I'll I'll argue with anyone about anything. It's just who I am, and I enjoy doing that. But I also think that there's this definite culture and movement towards trying to feminize men. Fuck. Um. I. This is. I'm not even too sure about the term feminized, but I have. Conversation. See this, this view of the destruction of the modern male mm-hmm. for about a year now. And anybody, good mates of mine, I've always had this discussion with. And it started out whenever I first heard the words toxic masculinity. And now, do I believe there is such a thing? Yeah, I fucking do. But do I believe there's just toxic human beings? And need to be a male or a female? Of course, toxic people fucking exist. But to attach a trait of a male to it led people basically to, to just be able to kick guys around more. I use the example of what we see every day in the media. Young men, specifically in Northern Ireland, 16 to 50 are the biggest danger to themselves through suicide. Lisa, this is something that the statistic has not brought forward. We have having the highest reported rates of suicide in Western Europe, and we are a modern fucking country. So <clears throat> we look at our media and we are bombarded with images of men being stupid. The dad's the idiot. The mother is always a saviour. There's a recent advert on TV now. It's for a car company called Cinch. And it's a, a guy, he was on this morning or something like that, and he comes along to the car and they describe the guy. They're talking about the car and they describe the man in the car as the body works okay, but there's nothing under the hood because it's okay to be a stupid guy. Yeah. Denigrating the man again. You look at the adverts for um, is it Jessica Johnson Thompson, the uh, runner, the Muller adverts and it always says thick and it shows you the girl stirring the yogurt and then there's a picture of a good looking guy and it's just really the man's thick he just you know just he's just I can't be stupid if we were to make adverts about females like that I was going to say the exact same thing there 
And, and we're, I would be one of the first people in the queue to go, fucking stop that. What age are you? But it's okay to do it to a guy. Um, and I've seen that. I don't know if it's a feminization of the modern male, but it is definitely... Do you not think so? I would go as far as say feminization. If you look at the amount of guys, and this is... In this cancel culture world, you've got to be curved. You've got to be more liberal and understanding towards people. I get that. But you can't deny, like, our generation did not get their eyebrows waxed. We did not go for, like, some bit after some bit. Well, some did, but not, most of us didn't. You know, the, 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 the description of what a man is has slowly eroded and has becoming more in tune with the female. And listen, the problem with masculinity was... We were male chauvinistic pigs. We, we did not treat women. Gender, like This is throughout, through history, right? And there is a definite uh, uh, reason and need to have women more empowered. Like, I've got two young daughters myself, and I will do anything, and I've also got Gail's daughter here as well. So there's three young girls under the age of seven that I'm going to be the example for them for, them for the foreseeable future. I'm going to be their first example for two of them. So I need to be careful. So I do not, like, I, I am all for empowering women, but there's a balance in life. The yin and the yang. Yep. And the man needs to be man. The woman needs to be woman. And I, I do not think it's a pro the wrong to say that the male's duty, and this is throughout nature, protect and provide. Well, maybe not lands, but protect and provide. You know, if, if someone comes into the house, it's not Gail going to get out of bed. Yeah. You know, it's me it's going to come down and I'm going to, am I going to fight them? I'm going to fight to the death. I don't care if they come to my house and I'm going to have to defend my family. And it's also socially accepted that the man is the provider. Now, not, not so much today, but I think it's also, also part of the problem. But I'll go back to that in a second. But we provide and protect women, nurture and care. When you fail, who did you call for? Exactly. You always call for your mom. So why is that being wrong? Why is that wrong that I say? That is, that is just a reality. You know, yeah. you want your mummy when you're injured. When the man's down in the field, he was probably calling, you know, soldiers are crying for their mummy. Mm -hmm. You know, like, this is just who we are as human beings and have been. That is pre, I think that's pre-written into our DNA. I don't think that that, and I think in a weird way, <sighs> modern society is trying to chip away at that. And I'm not saying, <clears throat> you see, I'm a massive, but I would believe myself to be a civil libertarian in life. I am massively for equality, ma absolutely massively for equality. And I don't think that by doing and saying things that we are saying is unequal. I don't think that's unequal. I think it's a debate that needs to be had. I think that if you're going to tell me that, you know, a man when he's a young, well, a child, a young boy, wouldn't cry for his mom if he hurts himself, you should, I think that's insane because every child does, it's pre-written. You can't help that. That's written into our system. We, we they carried us for nine months. Exactly. <laughs> you've got you've got them and you're like, you know, you were inside them. Yeah, and that's why I think I don't I don't I don't know whether or not it's a feminization of a male or I think it's just to me it's just the erosion of a male identity. I don't know whether or not they're trying to turn a male more towards a feminine aspect of life, but I do believe what's happened is the male identity is being slowly and surely eroded because we are seeing more and more times where it's okay if a man's a dickhead, you know, you're, it's okay. He's just a thick man, a man, and that's really unfair. And I think that, that sets up poor role models for young guys in the future. And I specifically pointed out in our country, very, very small portion of the planet, but we have a serious, serious problem 
with young males and their mental health. Okay, well, let me, here's my, what, part of my theory in this would be, and it has to be taken into consideration, and it's not, I want to emphasize this, it is not the woman's fault here, okay? They, they can't help this, just like men can't help it. There's too many single mothers raising males, and they don't know how to raise a male because they aren't male. It'd be like if my if 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 God forbid if my ex-partner died and I had to raise my children, I could not raise them the way a female could raise them because I don't know what a period is like and I don't know what it's like to grow boobs. Well, actually, I do, but I don't know what that. I don't know anything about being a woman. No. So we've got this whole we've got this generational thing now of lots of young men who at thirteen are thrust into being the man of the house. And they're in a position they shouldn't be in at that moment in time, and they have no one to actually influence them. So the testosterone kicks in, and they become this uncontrollable kid, and then they, they, and that escalates and escalates and escalates. Well, but that, that's to do, in my opinion, as well with a positive male influence. Yes. You know, our society is very fractious. Yin and yang. Yeah, that's it's a very right. fractious society, and I think as well that people, and I'm really this is one of one of the things that I'm more happier about. People aren't staying in shitty relationships forever anymore, mm. specifically women. Um, so if there is a shit relationship that a girl's in, and she may already have children, she's, she can easily just go, fuck that, I'm not putting up with that anymore, and leave. It's not a societal ill anymore, whereas it was before. And I think that that has led to maybe some of this. And then without a positive male role model in a, in a young male's life, it kind of sets him up badly for later on. But also conversely to that, if a male sees an abusive male treat his mother that way, that's a shit fucking role model straight away because he thinks that that might be the way to treat a woman. That's exactly and, what he's going to bring up. So was you know, so we're probably in the second generation. Yeah, single mothers and the 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 this has already been seen before. You know, so it's 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 a it's a societal problem that needs fixing with mental health issues that we don't have the provisions for. One of the things I would say as well is our, our country being very unique, the impact of what has been called the troubles cannot be overlooked. Um, whether of course I don't oh. agree with any of I don't agree with any of it, no matter what side of the fence you fell on, it was all fucking wrong. But the what the damage was done was behind the closet, the closed door of the societies that were people wouldn't have reported things because yep. It, you didn't want to bring an outside, you know, influence into that area. So things went on behind closed doors that would never go on today. And, and I think that that influence is still there. That really dark sort of nature is still exists in our society. The tender, the, this country's a tinderbox, though. You know, it, it could, yeah. it could quite easily a spark could could, could, could Now the whole big C word thing has exposed the governments massively. You know, their incompetence and. The, the voting of orange and green has probably led us to this position. You know, old, old yeah. cultures. And I suppose it brings us, ties us, it brings us a good thing. The one thing about combat sports like MMA was it brought that division to a head and it, we confronted it and the, it was impossible not to in the sense that if there was an issue there, you were going to fight it out. Yeah. And when you fought it out, you had respect for the guy and then all that other bullshit was left behind. Mm-hmm. And what? it's something... I would say in any form of combat sport that I've ever been involved in, in MMA, boxing, jiu-jitsu, wrestling, whatever, I have never experienced sectarianism between competitors. No, never. never. In boxing, unfortunately, I've seen it in boxing with fans, but not with competitors. Right. Um, but I have 
I've never witnessed or been involved in any form of sectarian interaction between competitors. It wouldn't have happened. It, it, it just wouldn't have been allowed to happen, you know, because there, there isn't, unless you're a fighter, you don't understand what it's like, you know, you, you're, you're going to, you're willingly going to a gym every day, knowing you're going to get punched, knowing you're going to get kicked, knowing that someone slagged you and it's going to go a wee bit rough that day, or you and your mate are going to, are going to go at it and someone's going to stick on the Rocky theme tune, it's going to be 30% harder and you're going to get hurt. Yeah. We only do this, but it's, it's a different mindset. It, it definitely is. People who are involved, I, I always think I draw a massive parallel between combat sports because they're single participation sport and other like endurance sport, like long distance cycling and long distance running. Because you are going to feel pain and a great deal of pain. And you, it's how you deal with that pain that leads to, not to success, because you won't have success all the time. It's just a simple fact. You're not going to get it. But how you deal with that pain, both psychologically and physically, is what makes you into the person that you are and what makes you come back. Now, there's plenty of people go to boxing gyms, there's plenty of people go to MMA clubs, and they go two or three times, they brag to their mates that they do cage fighting or they do an inverted commas, a very Belfast thing, a bit of boxing. I would always love to know which bit it is. <laughs> which bit, you know. But they never go back. They will never, because it's not, it's not for them. You're not cut out for that. You like the stories, but you're not cut out for the actual act of it. Do you think that, I, I think within every man, there is genuinely the ability to unleash an animal. If it came down to, you know, if you're fighting for your life, you, everyone's like, I say, every single person on this earth has got the ability to kill. We know that. We know that. You know, every single person has got the ability to love and every single person has got the ability to fucking fight when they have to. Yeah. And I, I do think, I, I think we're in a world where social media has taken over so much. Like you can't do anything wrong or you can't do anything stupid without the risk of being exposed and being the laughing stalker or it's, whatever. It's the ridicule factor. It's that being outed is a bit of a dickhead. Yes. People are petrified of. You're I'm looking gonna, for social security. I have fucking zero shame. And I'm going to tell you, where my shame left, and this is, this is a very amusing bit for me, it was literally where my whole shame left. Cage Wars 2002 in Portsmouth. Um, Davy Patterson fought John Williams. I was actually talking to John Williamson yesterday. Uh, we we're talking about this show. Um, but where my shame left was when I was basically on the ground getting elbowed. <laughs> it was bloody awful. And I could hear the crowd chant, fuck him up, fuck him up, fuck him up. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, really? And it wasn't like this was incredibly painful. It was just like, oh, this is fucking shit. I'm going to have to eventually, if I'm conscious, stand up when this is over. You know, and, and at that point, I, I, I ceased to give a fuck what the outside world viewed me like. I, I just didn't care. And that stuck with me. And it has stuck with me to now. I remember, uh, who was it I fought? Oh, God, I can't remember his name now. Great guy. Oh, it's gone. Gone. I'll come back to me. But um, it was a time in Davies' show in the Ramble Inn that the rope broke. I don't know if you were there. I wasn't there, but I know that. We were yeah. in the middle of fighting, he pushed against, and the rope snapped, and we had to start all over again. But I got beat anyway. But um, I was standing, I was standing with mates, I was still dressed up, and they were all saying, Oh, I'm lucky, man. I was like, Oh, whatever. And some guy goes, ah, Fuck, what happened to you there, big man? You're not the best, are you in there? And I just, I was like, I tell you what, hold on a second. 
I'm going to ask Davey to fight you at the end of the show, okay? And we'll get you in, and me and you will fight, and then we'll see who it is. And I walked away to get Davey. And you're like, hey, big lad, I'm only joking, hey, fucking, I'm only joking, hey. You know, all that country. But I was raging because it's like, it doesn't matter if you lose. It doesn't matter what, no. like, if you have the balls to step in there, you've had the, you've more balls than 90% of other men. Of course you do, more than 90%. It's and like, all you're doing is exposing their fears, and that's why they're so, but it's just so infuriating. That's why also people like going to things like that, because they are most, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm generalizing too much, people who go to watch MMA, a lot of them are fans and they like the sport. That's good. A lot of them are friends of fighters, but they have no fucking interest in MMA. But there are other people who go to watch it because that is their major fucking terror in life. And when they mm. view another person doing it and maybe failing, that helps them along psychologically. They're like, oh, yes. It's like, fuck, that wasn't me. And that's one of those people you came into contact with. And you, yeah. you're, so that exposed his fear because... That guy's probably strutted around some fucking middle Ulster town in his life, never had a real fight, maybe punched some guy in a bar once, but he's never got into the cage or a ring to face somebody who's been training, who has died and who has put the effort in, who's put the work in. And it's two individuals who have made a conscious contract mentally, physically, psychologically to fight one another. He, he, most people are physically incapable of that. And yeah. I mean, Properly, physically, and I, I was one of them. I definitely, I, I was one of them. But it's, it's a perseverance instinct. You know, we, do, we don't want to die. Like it goes back for pre-evolutionary times or if you broke your leg, you might die. That might be the end of you. So fighting's a last resort. So it's it's a strange thing that humans have fought wars so much. You know, like no none of the soldiers ever want to fight those wars. Yeah, but I always think if you put politicians in the fight of yeah, war. I've, said, I've, never, I've never met any soldier after a war who said to me it was the best experience of his life and he can't wait to do another well, yeah. one. Maybe there are crazy people I got. But I um, lost my train of thought there. What was I say? What was I going to say? Well, uh, that fight you had in the Ramble in, and I basically was pointing out the fact that sometimes... Oh, yes. Yes. Afterwards, um, the but because you brought me into... When you're talking about cage wars... You're saying that fear. I had experienced the exact same thing in Cage Wars at that time in Galway. Lee Therful, that was a guy you used to fucking... Oh, he was about 35 million kilo heavier. <laughs> See, I just remember two big white flashes. And it was like... Was, like what was, was, it? was it Lee McGuinness you fought? Or was it Lee... It was Lee McGuinness. Kevin that guy. Kevin that guy, aye. He was quite good, actually, as well. I remember Lee being very good. Oh, he hit me two, he hit me two shots on the floor and there was like two explosions... And the referee obviously called it, and uh, he called, was like, are you okay? And I just looked and was like, what took you so long? I was like, because you weren't going to tap. You were not going to tap the strikes. Do you remember the Cage Wars referee at that stage before Alan Laurie? That was a guy called Fred Rado. Do you remember him? Uh, he, had a, he had a goatee beard. So he had a wee goatee beard. Yeah. He, was he was like Motley. He worked for Motley Crew or something in his life some way. I'm not sure what capacity. But he would have let you get fucking mopped up and down the mat and, until the point of death. <laughs> Joe, I fought a guy called John Dean and I remember I broke my hand the first couple of seconds absolutely death and eventually I had him in an arm bar dying seconds of the first round knowing I'm not coming out for the second and I literally had my it was a, the arm was bent double and I was like shouting at him tap 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 and he was like no no and I remember popping this and you can just hear that and I looked up and I was like are you going to fucking stop it now and the referee went mm. and I was like his arm is clearly broken and then eventually he just, oh, yeah, okay, stop the fight. And I remember John and I very later on, he had his arm in a sling, and he was like, why? Did, what, why? You know, and he goes, I didn't think it was too bad. I was like, no, that's... <laughs> Back in the day, it was nuts, wasn't it? That sort of thing to me, even 
even today watching like at, like watching the UFC or you know any other promotion when people are in submissions and you know this person's not going to tap that limb is going to break I have this real horror with that I, I don't know why Tony Ferguson fight do you know what his arm when he got the, that arm bar he got sunk into oh. I was my face in the pillow I was going Jesus can someone oh how that man's arm didn't snap it off I don't know I, I tell you, you know Peter Lavery as well. Um, I was talking to Peter Lavery about this, and he's a very high ranking official and was refereeing the UFC and judged in the UFC. And he was telling me a story about refereeing a fight in Cage Warriors a few years back, and it was two female professionals. One of them put the other one in an armbar, and Peter says this fucking armbar was just as deep as you're ever going to get. The fight was over, and this girl refused to tap. And it was going to the point, he says, you could see the arm bent double, and he just dives in and stops the fight. Says, no, that's it. You're going to get badly injured. Off you go. And he said afterwards, he was approached by their head official, um, who's quite a famous UFC referee, and said, tell me why you stopped that fight. And he says, well, her arm was going to break. He says, so what? They're professionals. That was the... So that, the, that's... And I was like, what? He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just told you should have just let the fight go. They've made that decision themselves. I'm like, that is insane. Can't. I don't think that's right. But you and I going, Holy fuck! What? That's that's you and I have the same. It's it's, it's a great. You're on the fence. I understand it because like maybe that guy's willing to fight or that girl's willing to fight one arm. You know, the top before the first Griffin. Don't know. You know, so it's it's happened before. Mark Griffin, Rich Franklin. You could get, clearly go through like in looking back at history in boxing. You can talk about Danny Williams knocking out Mark Potter with a dislocated shoulder, being allowed to come out with a dislocated. You know. Nowadays, I so I get it, but you've also got to think of like, you know, at a grassroots level, there's going to be kids watching that, you know, getting maybe getting excited, and their parents are going to like, I'm not letting me look at that, you know, and then if you maybe stop the next, the like Tony Ferguson McGregor coming on the scene because of the, so yeah, you've got I I always go back to grassroots because what of what I discovered when I was coaching MMA was that was my love, mm-hmm. there was nothing like. See, coaching professionals, it was great fun, though, and it was good crack. And you loved it, like you're on something like Carl Murray, he just he just annihilates you, Do you know. It's just like, <laughs> but it's still good fun. But then there was nothing better than seeing some kid coming in and he was petrified, you know, bullied. You can see it. I could sense them. I experienced, I was those for, for me. Yeah. Maybe it was a personal thing for me that I, but I was that child, you know. And if someone like me had came up to me and done that, then who knows where I'd have been, you know. And that's the way I think about it. And there's nothing better than you see them terrified and they don't know what to do. Three months later, bang, they've hit an arm bar on someone. They're like, and you just see that and you go, that, that's to me, that's why I love being a coach. That's just, you're like, yeah, yes. To me, that's what the reward of being a coach is. Oh. And you don't do it for, there's a lot of, fuck, where do I start about coaches? Jesus Christ. Um, there's a lot of coaches who are in the game of coaching for grandstanding, right? They like this. They love the whole, oh, I'm a coach, have it emblazoned on their back or on their balls or whatever the fuck they've got. And they don't, they're not necessarily athlete focused, but when you're athlete focused, your joy and your reward is when your athlete is able to do something that you have worked on together. Yeah. You know, anybody can do something you've worked on together and it's unsuccessful. You can fucking try anything. It doesn't matter. But when it works specifically, then you can go, right, there you go. And it's a, it's that nice tick in the box for both parties that that person is now confident of what you're saying to them and 
showing them is a valid working technique. And it's also for you validation that I know this is right and here's the perfect example. Yeah. My, the, the one thing I hate about coaching is like there's a, I put it up on Instagram the other day and um, Mike Tyson talking about before the fight, the nerves before the fight and, the, and then bang, it hit and it's all, it's all over. And he was like, it's, you snap back into it. When you're a coach, you don't get hit, but you're fighting that fight with that. And you are like, and you're like, oh, I scream, God, oh, and you're screaming techniques and your, your heart rate's going through the roof. See, by the end of it, see if you've got four or five fighters on that show, you go home and you collapse. Yeah. Uh, you, you've done that, obviously, in your past coaching. Um, and I, I've done that up to very recently. And I had to knock it in the head because there was that many fighters. And I was just literally coming back to a changing room, picking up a different towel and walking down to the case. And that was unfair to these people. Uh, you know, you, you need to, you're coaching them. You have to get them there. And I wasn't warming them up. So I, I, you know, I didn't know what their warm up was like or anything. There was no, I like a time warm up. My warm ups were very specific to the fight, um, and not giving too much away. But I like adding that in. If, if I was just coming up, picking up a towel, and going right, you ready? And I was deflated. Maybe we'd come back from a draw or a loss, or even if we come back from a win, it's hard to keep raising yourself up all those times to actually go and be motivated for that guy or girl that you're walking down to the cage or ring with. I just, I think that I had the curb. There was just too much of that. And you're deflated, you're fucking drained by the end of it. Yeah, it's it's an emotional journey, so it is. I would I I didn't enjoy fighting to be honest. Like I I done fighting. I I fought five times because I knew I had to experience what fighting was in order to coach the, you know, yeah, yeah, you like I I don't like these for coaching. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but I don't personally don't like a coach who's never fought coaching, you know, yeah. in the corner. Is good examples of people who yeah. on this you um boxing specifically and in, I suppose in MMA as well. You have what Greg Jackson's ever had an MMA fight, yeah, and he's probably one of the more successful MMA coaches. Has a hand in coaching John Jones, Cowboy Shoney, all those people, and George St. Pierre back in the day. And then you have something like Virgil Hunter who coached Andre Ward, never had a fight in his life, and he is that was Andre Ward's probably one of our greatest boxers of our generation, yeah. Um, not very exciting, but absolutely outstanding, you know. Who is your greatest boxer of all time? Who's of the goal? It's very difficult. I, I always think it's hard to hard to go and say who is the greatest ever of all time. Um I think Ali You're not allowed to be on the fence. Ali is definitely up there, but he wouldn't be the greatest for me. If you're you have to go with the weight. So I would say at heavyweight for, for me, Lennox Lewis. Lennox Lewis um, was again very he was very underrated because he was at a time of, of good heavyweights as well but Lennox Lewis literally beat everybody go and look at his box record yes he lost to Hasbeen Rackman in South Africa but he came back and absolutely iced Rackman he beat the Klitschko he beat Klitschko he beat Tyson he beat Holly he beat Holly twice although the first one was absolutely disgraceful he got it as a draw um, plus he went he has an Olympic medal he has literally transversed eras of boxing as well you know so i think for me heavyweight it would have to be lewis and i think that's a, a standard i think if lewis were to take on and i know there would be different weights nowadays so if you were to say if lewis was to take on say a sunny Liston or a muhammad ali it wouldn't even be close it wouldn't even get out of five rounds i know like it's the greatest of all time is a hard one to call but roy jones for me was just wonderful 
I actually I was watching a couple of Roy Jones uh, Junior videos last night. He was utterly amazing. We grew up in a perfect time, didn't we? For like the boxing era, you know, we grew up oh. in the Tysons, the Lewises. The, we got to see them all. Hamid, we had Steve Collins, we had Chris Eubank, we had uh, Nigel Benn, yeah. we had Lloyd Honigan, we had Julian Jackson. If I ever know who Julian Hawk Jackson is, Julian Hawk Jackson is probably the hardest puncher ever to walk this planet. The guy who knocked out, uh, what do you call him? Uh, uh, and see his face, a British guy, right in the last round. Julian Jackson absolutely iced him. But we have uh, we have seen so many, so many, even in our own country, but like, we are very lucky. We've obviously seen the, like, the golly, Barry McGuigan. We, uh, and I'm, I'm covering the whole group of Ireland when I'm saying that. That's one of the strangely positive outcomes of the Troubles. Kids yeah. were in the boxing clubs, you know, to keep them off the streets, to keep them out of yeah. the Troubles. Mm-hmm. So... You've got like hard working class kids who are used to fighting for a life and suddenly they're being in an outlet. Mm-hmm. But and right. the hardship, that's the issue. Yeah. That's you know, they know what suffering is. And I, that's why I think, I don't know if MMA is going to take off as much because of this feminizing of what I call feminizing or you call demasculating men. Because it does take a certain breed of guy. Like I admit openly, I was not a fighter. I done fighting, but I am not a fighter. Like that's not... What I am, but I'm a coach, and I, 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 I'm like honest enough with myself to know that I'm not a fighter. So it's never. I enjoy grappling, but I hate it. Like just hate it having to go in spars. Like, oh fuck, this one hurt. I didn't really. I actually genuinely didn't really enjoy MMA sparring. I didn't enjoy. It. I did. I, I really adored boxing sparring. To me, I was fucking addicted to it, and I. This is like a. A very strange thing to say, and I, I'm sure that there are people out there like this with MMA, but with boxing sparring, I was fucking absolutely completely consumed by it. See, I would, have I would in a week. See if you put gloves on and right, we'll start in the knees, we'll fight from the ground, just do gr- I will take that all day, and you can punch me in the face all day, and it's not gonna bother me. You stab me up, and I'm like, oh fuck, see if he hits my leg. I'm like, I'm just gonna cry. Something like you can just I happily go the rest of my current existence never absorbing another leg. You look at Thai fighters and you just go, they're a different breed, aren't they? Like, they are a different breed of creature. They're a different animal. Like, uh, people don't understand just how sore a well-placed Thai kick is. Now in the UFC and in MMA, really, there's the prevalence of the calf kick, right? So Benson Henderson, maybe five years ago. Davey was doing that. But Davey was doing that in his back garden. He was like, oh, Jesus. I remember, going, I remember going to Frank's. I was talking to Jamie Crawford about this two, two or three days ago. I remember going to Frank's and sparring with a guy called Chris. I don't know if you remember Chris. Would have been about the same size as me then. Really nice, but very well-spoken guy. And I remember he was the first person that ever calf kicked me. And he kicked <laughs> me. I literally could hardly put either of my feet on the floor. And this was with big, thick Thai shin guards on. And I and Jamie was like, we've been doing this for 20 years. This isn't new to me. Um, I, I was like, I remember this. And it's just exploded. But it wasn't new to us then. Like, we were doing this. We didn't use it. But I didn't use it in fights. I didn't throw kicks in fights because I thought if I kicked them, they were going to kick me. <laughs> I always went for a low tie kick. I had a really good low tie kick because my hips were so shit I couldn't do anything above the waist. So I, I worked my low tie kick, but uh, I don't know. Getting, giving them is no problem. I was the bully that way. <laughs> I hated taking them. Like, I even 
Hart, was that fighting portrait as well. No, it wasn't. That was fighting. I think it was in Ulster. No, what do you call it? King of Europa. Um, and I remember having done quite a bit of Thai boxing leading up to the fight. Can't remember why I actually chose to go more into Thai boxing. And I thought, I'm going to try crushing a kick here if somebody holds a leg. I, you know, I can do this, you know? Really psych myself up to doing it. Guy throws, wasn't even a hard leg kick. I just said it was pretty, like a tenth of an attempt. And I crushed this kick and I just thought, that was good, you know? And I put my foot on the floor. And it was like this cold wave of pain. <laughs> it just interacted with my complete nervous system. And I just went, you can fuck off. <laughs> Ever that again. I was convinced everything was broken. And it wasn't. It just pretty much bumped my shin. But mm. I, it was, and I just... I'm never doing that again. I, do you know Gary Flack? Again. Do you know Gary Flackery, do you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gary, I remember I was talking with Gary and um, we were doing Thai kicks and we're checking and the shin pads. And he, go, he was like demonstrating, he was like, do this book and he went bump and he, he, um, he kicked me and I checked. And he just, before he put my leg, he, was, he goes, I'm sorry, Bucca. And I was like, I'm all right. I'm the same thing. As soon as I put my leg down, I was like, Fah! And that was through shin guards. I was like going, it is probably one of the most, I would say, you know, and people can, anybody who's had a real fight, and I mean a fight that's trained for, and it's a, it's a competitive combat sport, you will remember times specifically in these that you were, <laughs> you know, where you felt physical pain, which most people, I don't think, that literally have been punched elbow knee in the face, and it didn't really feel a great deal of physical pain, but I can think of like four times, that was one of them, Getting elbowed in the face in Portsmouth was two. I got kneed in the hip once by a guy called John Dean in Galway. And that was properly absolute agony. And the same fight John kneed me in the chest, which was terribly bloody painful. And I think I remember once boxing, getting uh, a body shot and thinking, fuck, that was horrific. But thinking it was okay, taking two steps back and going, oh, I'm fine. If I, well, no, I'm not fine. This is horrific. <laughs> and those are the five times I can think, yeah, that was, those are proper, that was pain. You know something? It is something though. It, it like you fear it. You don't. But see, when you do it, you understand that the fear of getting punched is far greater than actually. Getting, even the worst punch in the world, the fear of what it was going to be like was much worse. Like I know there's like I do. I train with a guy called Martin Dunn Sistema, and I know people think it's a joke, but Martin is one of the most dangerous men I know. He's insane the things he does. And he put like he does that one inch punch and he knocks me flying. I've experienced all this stuff and he's put me on the floor with a be small punch like that. And Rodney Moore will tell you about it. Rodney yeah, Moore will tell you yeah, I mean, his heart exploded. It's just insane. Like, like some of the stuff that those guys do. And there's a, a vast amount of it to me looks legitimate. Like a vast amount of it. And there's some that there's some that's just off. Yeah. But of course it is. But I have listen, I only tell what my experiences are. And I genuinely have never been hit harder in my life by anyone or any. And the entire of Rodney Moore's gym will tell you the same thing. There's video, he's just putting, boom. Like, and I, there's videos of me square on them, right? And I'm like, right, here we go. As hard as I can, a right hook, I throw it as hard as I can on the stomach. He goes, and then hits me, and I'm like, Fuck! down the floor. It's insane. I, I don't know how you get into MMA, right? I get in the MMA through traditional martial arts. And I saw, I used to love traditional martial arts videos when I was younger. Like all the weird, like game of death and all that sort of shit and fucking pray for death and everything had death in the title. <laughs> and, 
Um, and I always thought that pretty much that's what competitive martial arts would be. And I like that shit, you know, that sort of like that one inch punch. That yeah, it's awesome. It's cool as fuck, isn't it? Sean Connolly and I, right, whenever we used to do the door together, we used to try and find the most obscure martial arts, right? So we would look up, but then obviously the internet, none of us had the fucking internet then because of our program. Yeah. Didn't exist. Well, it did exist, but it was dialed up and it was dreadful. And, um, so we'd have to like go to the library and get out martial arts books and find the most obscure bullshit <laughs> martial arts to tell people about. Right? <laughs> like, you know, red sand palm where your hand turns red with power and all this bullshit. I'd <laughs> be talking mad shit to people and people go like, these two dicks talking about. But that's what I thought. Genuinely, that's what I thought if I went to a martial arts class, that's this is what I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be all this fucking... You know, people levitating and wizards. Is he 35 at this point? Huh? You're 35 at this point? Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to say I was dramatically underwhelmed was a fucking great understatement. I was like, all right, guys, we're really going to train here. Oh, fuck. I, when do I learn magic? You know, when do I learn? Like, like monkey, and disappear. But no. Do you know what MMA did do? It destroyed the illusion. Yeah. It, it, it put all the, like, because... Boxers, boxing, Muay Thai, wrestling, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Russian Sambo. Mm -hmm. Judo. Judo. Yeah. That's it. Judo is actually one of the most underrated. It is a very underrated art. I'd say, like my daughters, I'm going to make sure they do Judo because the concrete is as hard no matter what. In fact, the concrete's harder if you're heavier. Yeah. You know, and it's the thing of leverage. I think every girl should definitely know how to throw, do Judo and yeah. do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu because of the guard position. Mm -hmm. it's just, I don't understand. I was actually talking to my BGA coach in Australia, Paul Gamers, about this in the episode two there. And we were talking about saying, why do you not put children into this martial art? Think about the, uh, the self-esteem element alone. It's fun. It's, 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 it's great. Okay, you're touching. Mm -hmm. You're touching, which is something we are losing. The, but look at this COVID shit. Do you yeah. know, we are losing the ability to, like, to have this, what is to be human. Mm -hmm. So, communication, like you and I talked about communication before we started the report. Communication covers everything from a physical appearance to a physical touch to how you and I are, are conversing now. Yeah. And not for any child, like when you watch kids play, not that I ever watch kids play in a fucking playground, I swear to fuck. <laughs> but if you were to do that as a sociological experiment, you will watch children and they'll be grabbing hold of each other, they'll be wrestling around, they'll be having that's a form of interaction. That is a form of communication. And to me, that's why I think something like judo, specifically for younger people, and you might pick up judo and then never, ever put it down. You might be putting the next Ronda Rousey together, you know, that's or the, you together. And, that's, and if, whenever that happens, a child will uh, they'll learn a place in life. They'll either learn that they love this or they learn that they hate this. And they might be more suited to snooker or football or golf or badminton or boxing or whatever. But I think that children should have that in school, that would be one of my views. That should be a school program. Every single person needs to know what it's like to get punched. They should need to know what it's like to get thrown. They should need to know what it's like to put to be put in a position where you're completely, totally dominated. Mm -hmm. And you know how scary that is, especially the gay on you, and you've got the, the gay and you can't breathe, and they're just it's just but that's what makes you grow. Because no one wants to do that. And that's what the difference between a fighter or a competitor is, you know. 
they, like none of us ever walked in going, I can't wait to be choked unconscious. I can't wait to be hit in the face. Oh, those big tie kicks, give me more, you big sexy. No one does that. But we do it anyway, or they, we did it anyway. And that's what makes it grow. That's what sets you apart. And you'll see all these people, you know, revering the fighters like the gladiator days. But the reality is every single person on this planet has the ability to do that. They do. I agree 100%. Every single person. And if you did do that and you realised what fighting is, or you uh, it's either going to take one or two ways, depending on social background and all, but you're either going to respect it, you're never going to use it, or you're going to become a bully. But if you know, if the bully knows every other bully know, uh, that anyone's going to bully, yeah. is going to have a chance of beating him, he's not going to do it. That's the equality of arms, in, my yes. opinion, in that respect. Um, I, but I also, I don't know, I, I think that by teaching people martial arts as well. I'm not one of those people that believes in discipline in martial arts. Now, I don't believe that. Now, that sounds like a strange thing. But what I, I don't think that if you go to a gym, say you go and pick a boxing club and you go there, that gym is not going to be able to instill a discipline in you. You are going to have to instill that discipline in yourself because you want to do that. But do you not think that the clubs, it's the club's duty to facilitate the ability to teach them? Of course you do, yes. And being somebody who did coach young people in boxing, do we have, I, I can give you, I can give you a thousand examples of this. If a child, as even some very, very talented young boxers between the ages of maybe 10 and 14, right? Very, very talented. They have, and they just had no interest in boxing. Their parents were making them go. So their discipline is out there somewhere else it's nothing to do they don't like boxing they are being told to go to boxing so you're never going to push them in the right direction and by pushing them you're going to you're literally like positive charges you're going to drive them further apart i think there are definitely kids we i've seen it happen recently before our guys and he started when he's about nine or ten and he didn't like it now this guy is 16 17 an absolute beast when he hit 15, he got an intrinsic enjoyment out of coming to the gym. He was able to interact. In a Testosterone kicks in, girls kick in, yeah. ego kicks in. He got the good shape, he's big guy, six foot now. And, and like, so he's getting that joy out of coming in and out of the club and he's enjoying what he does. And the discipline then is self-created because he knows to keep him feeling like that, he has to stay here. So he's going to come and do those things that make him feel good outside. And that's, to me, what real discipline is. And yes, there's the self-denial of eating garbage food, drinking, staying out late, all that sort of shit. That all comes along with this because you know I can't go and do all those things. Like I don't, I don't think I had 20s. I, I genuinely, I, and you, you'd be the same. My 20s were wasted. I didn't, I didn't drink till I was 25. I don't think I really drank. That was like 28. 29. Uh, yes, okay, I went down and had a few beers with me at Snow, but I wouldn't have classed myself. Well, I didn't touch Probably a drop of drink that was 20, not one drop of drink that I touched that was 25. Yeah, that's amazing. I, I, I would have said, like, if somebody said to me, do you drink? I would have said no up until that, but I fucking definitely do now. I've got a beer machine about two meters away. <laughs> I've got into whiskey in a big way, so I have. Hmm? I've got into whiskey in a big way, so I have. <laughs> oh, I love whiskey now. It's great. It's just, I, was, I was taught this guy, um, my friend knows, brought this bottle of whiskey down, it's a middle and extremely rare something, 1.8 million a cask. You can't, you can't buy it. You have, to, you have to buy it by the cask and all that. It was just this crazy story, you know, that 
Apparently, you're called down. You, you, it's an eight-year waiting list, and it's only opened up every once every eight years for the the VAS or something. Yeah. I'm getting some of these facts wrong, but uh, then you're gonna then you get picked to get interviewed, and then you have an interview by the master distiller, and then he decides whether he's going to sell you a cask or not. This is now this could be an elaborate he story he told me. I don't know. It's so it was one point eight million cars. This thing so is. See, somebody talk, and he brought me through this whole journey of how to drink whiskey properly and all. And fuck, it was an ex but it was an experience, you know. It was, and then so like it locked me, it locked this experience in my head, and then I've just loved whiskey since. Yeah. The bastard, he's ruined <laughs> me. So I, I never really got into it. I, I would only ever drink beer, and I never really got into whiskey or spirits or anything. I drank spirits a couple of times, and fuck, did I feel awful afterwards? I don't care. <laughs> but here's the thing: I would sit in the whiskey for three hours, one small whiskey. I would sit just sip it. I literally just like the taste of it. Yeah. So it's actually stopped me drinking. That's my excuse, okay? That's a good idea. I'm <laughs> drinking whiskey to stop me drinking. That's, that's Here. No, no, I'm going to come back now because I was talking about the stemma there. So was, and we've got, we've got sidetracked. We're, the reason I was talking about stemma is Martin does this thing where he calls it information and he punches you, right? But you, he draws a line and he says, you are safe over this line. And for me, to, you know you're going to receive a punch, okay? It's going to get harder every time. But when you receive it, you, the only way you receive it is you step over the line, and that's indicator to me that you're allowing me to punch you. And then if you step back out of the line, that's it over until you come back again. Mm -hmm. So it's this psychological experiment yeah. where you know you're stepping into pain. You're going to receive pain, and every time you do it, it's going to get harder and harder. And, and I mean, speak to Rodney Moore about this. Mm -hmm. The pain, the, the, the way it goes in, it hits. It's not like a, It's not like here. It's inside, you feel this energy go into you and it just, wherever it is, it goes through you. It's like a bomb going off. Rodney said, Martin hit him, or Andrew hit him, who's Martin instructor, in the heart. Like, and it went inside and his heart just went, and he said two days later, it was still hurting. And he actually, he actually hit, um, who do you call the fucking family? Rodney fought the American, the great. Oh, Dean Lister. Dean Lister. He fought Dean Lister and he done that, he done a punch to the, the Rodney mm -hmm. and Dean Lister came up and was like, what did you do to me in that fight? You hit me a shot. So that's a genuine story. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, but then what Martin does is he then makes you put a blindfold on mm -hmm. and he stands you down the room and he says, stay there. And then he goes, I'm going to, I'm going to move somewhere in this room and you're not going to know where it is, but I'm going to hit you. And your job is you have to walk normally. You cannot slow down. You have to just keep going. And it's that psychological like you, it's it's proper psychological terror inside you because you're going to receive a really hard punch and you know it's going to cripple you, and you have to somehow find that way and that that confidence in yourself just to accept the pain and accept the pain as part of life. It's yeah. it's a real life lesson. That's why I love stamina. It's a system, and it's it's a, when you go, when you actually look into it, it's a very deep deep system. There's like massage in it. There's breathing exercises. It's just phenomenal. That's Russian, isn't it? Yeah. It's it's the most peaceful fucking art I've ever seen. It's unbelievable. Where it came from, though, I know obviously the Cossacks. Yeah, so they're they're going further, they're going further east again. So it is yeah. coming from India. It's, it's coming from China. That's oh yeah, they got the, the way they do sabers and all. It's it's very like it's very you can see all the cultural like similarities in it. But the breathing exercises are just unbelievable. I have never seen anything like it in my life. Like it, it, it's it's actually interesting. As I said, like I would I would be one of the I wouldn't. I'm a mark for weird things like that. I, I love the idea of something like that really existing. As I said to you, the traditional martial arts route for me into mixed martial arts and then into boxing and wrestling. 
I'll tell you how bad it is. Like how mad it is. You get real knives and you get stabbed. Literally, you get stabbed. It's like you, you, it, the knife is the, it's crazy. Like I remember the first time I met Martin, he grabbed the knife and he said, do you see this knife? And he goes, uh, do, do you think it's special? He's like, yeah. And then he, gra he grabbed my back of my head and he just shoved the, the thing right to my eye. And he's like, started pushing him, like pushing away. And he's like, do you feel the energy of the knife? Do you feel the energy of the knife? And I was like, yes. And, and then he just grabbed it under my balls. And he goes, what about now? And I was like, whoa. And he's pushing this in and I'm just going, fuck. And then he just throws the knife on the floor and he goes, is the knife dangerous? And I went, yeah. And he goes, put a slam there. And he's, and he's like, he's like, no, no, no. You see, that's the, that's the part of the knife. You will fear the knife because the energy is there, but it's not the knife you've got to fear. It's the person you've got to fear. Yeah, and it's this real deep psychological experience. That's why I like it, and it's 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 very to me. Like I can I can see you can if anyone uh, sort of discredits any martial art outright, bar those people that go ah, and stop people and all that shit, then you're being foolish because there could be an element of that movement and that art that you could incorporate to your fight game. The first martial art I started with was Wing Chun, and I'm just going to throw it out there, Wing Chun's bollocks, but <laughs> there is a certain element of Wing Chun that I have used literally in every form of combat sport that I've done, and it's a really simple step, and it's, it's, it's a circle step, and it's, I've incorporated that in the boxing, I've incorporated that loads and loads of times in the freestyle wrestling, and I've used it in MMA, and I, weird you mentioned because I was actually thinking about this the other day, because I watched uh, a YouTube video of some Wing Chun master fighting an MMA guy and the guy brutalised him, it was awful um, and I just thought, fuck I remember I did that and I thought it was great, but then I, like this boat was, oh, but the circle step is superb and you, you have used that loads and I thought well, that is one element of a martial art that I've taken away and used even though overall the art is utter, utter bollocks Hold on. I, like I don't, I've done utter, utter, utter shit as well. We all have. Everyone did. If you're from the eighties, you've done utter shit when it comes to martial arts. But there was something about that martial art that drove you on to try to find another one, yeah, totally. try to find another, to try to find, and all those experiences accumulate. You know, the thing is, unfortunately for me, I have like this. I think it's like a weird disease, right? If you were to say to me, "Let's go and run a five k," I would say, "No, let's go and run a marathon over a mountain." If you were to say, let's, let's go and, you know, let's go for a cycle down the towpath, I'd say, no, let's go and cycle 100 miles. There's like this constant search for doing something more, doing something better, doing something different. So whenever I first went to martial arts, I was getting away from perils of youth activity and I was playing soccer at the time. So I just wanted something to take me away from the perils of outside life. Um, and I, when I found martial arts, I thought, well, there has to be a way of competing in this. I, I have to try to have a go with this. And how that came about for me was Johnny, my brother, he, he was going up to, I didn't have a football match one Saturday, and he called over to mum and dad's house. And I said, well, where are you going? And he goes, I'm going to a fighter's class. And I was like, a fighter's class? Can I go? And he goes, no, you have to be invited. And I says, well, why don't you invite me then? I can go. <laughs> well, you can't go, you have to be invited. And I said, well, just fucking invite me. And he goes, right, you can come along, but uh, I don't think you're going to be able to train. I said, right, okay. So I went along, and Sucker goes, yeah, do you want to join in? Yeah, yeah, do. And that was it for me. That, that was it. Never had I put a pair of boxing gloves on and hit another person in my life. 
and that was it for me that day onwards gone for me like the one guy that i have done genuinely like i am i am very open and honest about this the one guy who had the most influence on how my life turned out is davy patterson mm -hmm. without davy i would not be doing this without davy has been the foundation of everything i've done and, I, and the reason why i went to jiu-jitsu but um we were in uh Baja, you know back when i was like in the maze field life center I was 20, so we were talking 23 years ago. Horatio, wasn't it? Horatio uh, Yes, that's right. I was even before that. I was there before he came along. I was I remember coming in, but um Davy put on gloves. He was doing his progressive combat, you know, the the, the stuff. Thompson? Jeff Thompson? Yeah, Jeff Thompson stuff. And he started punching me. And that was the first time I'd ever and I don't know that I thought I was a what a karate expert and all, you know, as a kid, kung fu, done the lot, but never had received proper punches. And it, see when he hit me, I felt so embarrassed. I remember just, and I didn't know what to do. It was like it was like exposing all my built up. I am a killer ego, as I realized, like it just imploded. It was like doing DMT, just fucking, just your entire universe just fucking, boom, disappears, and you're you're a new and your new reality. And the reality was, I can't fight for shit. And <laughs> when you discover that, it's literally terrifying. Isn't it? Did you ever get that? Do you know, like I don't. I think people need to experience it. But you know, when you're just dominated by a good grappler, it, the, my I, I would. This is one of the. You know, when you have again, this, these are seminal moments in combat sports for every person who's ever competed. The first time I ever came into contact with somebody who was what I would describe as an elite grappler was Dave Finley. Dave Finley is one of my life inspirations. The man's a fucking utter legend. He came to train with us. And we didn't have mats on the floor, so it was just a hardwood floor. Davey will tell you about this, because Davey was there. <laughs> and the first time I ever trained with Dave. Dave <laughs> 60s at the time. And I've never got a kicking like I got a kicking that day. He brutalised me, and I remember nearly crying. And I was a guy of 20, 21. Thought I was tough, thought I was in great shape. I was nearly in tears. This old man had just kicked the absolute life out of me and then I thought my god I just don't I don't know whether I've got this I don't know whether I'm cut out to keep doing this and then come back we got but the eat my this is one of the good thing about an ego and I don't agree with ego by the way but this my ego wouldn't allow me to back out it wouldn't allow me ego. to go you need to have ego ego keeps you alive yes it wouldn't allow me to quit so I kept going back and then but week after week of going back I got better and I didn't feel as bad about myself because I was leaving there nearly in tears. I felt fucking awful. Like I remember sitting in my car just feeling like the like the most awful thing in the world had happened that you discussed there with David that your world had just fallen in because I had been told that you don't need grappling's crap. What are you talking about? You just hit the person to fall over. <laughs> this guy was absolutely I'd never been in this much pain. There was portions of my anatomy that I didn't even wasn't aware existed or bleeding. It was fucking horrific. See in the early two thousands. Yeah. See, see in the early two thousands when we were doing this, mm -hmm. like people don't realize, and this is not pimping it over tough. Like now it's different. People know, but back then when it was like an alien thing, mm -hmm. you were literally a ninja. You yeah. could kill people, but you could literally choke people unconscious. You knew how to do those flying, spinny, back heel thingy bobbies that only seen in Kung Fu. Because you, you, you were literally doing it day by day. And I remember getting the scraps in the door on the, in, the early, in the early 2000s. 
and knee bars and arm bars. <laughs> I remember Big Tim, all right. God rest his soul. Oh, oh fuck, I love Tim. But um, we were doing the tour <laughs> And uh, this guy was being an absolute asshole. He was punching everyone, punched a girl, punched a guy, just to be a dick. We grabbed him out and we, we brought him out and he was just struggling like crazy. And he was straight, straight and punch. So Tim tripped him up and put his knee on his stomach and just pushed his knee into his stomach. Next thing I was like, and your man just stood up and we were, your man just looked at me all and went, you just shit yourself? And he just goes, <laughs> And he got up and there was shade all up his white shirt. <laughs> and his mates were going nuts at the door, go get him. And they, 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 we opened the door and he's like, come on lads. And, he just, <laughs> and we were like, oh my God, fuck, it was funny. Brilliant. But yeah, sorry, I interrupted you there. That's, those are the things that, Back in those days, like the early, really, really early days, the, the, the genesis of what has become a, a global sport, people didn't understand how, as I said, like saying things that you were doing specifically to me with wrestling, because that was my opening, that was my, you know, when they say, like, if you take DMT, you have a third eye that opens, yeah. that was my third eye opening of feeling that some of the stuff that I'd wasted two years on had no bearing, that was just silly and I needed to stop it. And whenever I started, my, as I said, third eye opened. And you kind of looked differently. You felt different about yourself. And that's one of those things that Big Tim, obviously, doing a bit of training too. And just even the mind or a bit of pressure on somebody, their whole central nervous system has just decided to shut down and shit himself because they're <laughs> You know, and that's, it's a terrifying thought. And, but I, I tell you if, you, get, if you get a chance to chat with Davey, Davey will tell you the same stories about Dave. That just we were talking. I was talking with Danny Core. Danny Core was on our podcast about a year ago. Another legend of a man who's done a fabulous amount for this. Oh, wonderful, wonderful guy. But he, he was telling us that Dave is in his eighties now and still coaches in their gym, right? Now I said to Danny, "Does he still do the thing where he stands on their fingers?" And he goes, "Yes." He says, "I've had to get him to stop this." <laughs> Brilliant! I love all the Dave stories. I can literally fill an eight-hour show with Dave Finley's stories. Whenever there's a position in wrestling called parterre or a table position where you're pretty much down and you're on all fours, yeah. extend your hands out. If you put your fingers out and Dave was coaching us, he would just stamp on your hands. <laughs> and you're like, ah! Like, what are you putting your fingers out for? So Dave's goal was, do you have to literally just form on your wrists and your knuckles? But why? That, that's, that's taking away a piece. Ah, I thought, why would you do that? That doesn't make any sense. Later on, it became very apparent to me. Because whenever the person goes into um, basically hit the hip and takes a forearm, so you're over the yeah, back of the over person. The back if you have your fingers out, if the attacker who's in the side position takes hold of your fingers and pulls the hand back, oh, you have no control. The leverage is too great. But if you try and take hold of the wrist, it doesn't move. And I was like, this makes sense. That's very detailed, isn't it? I didn't need to get stamped on. You could have just shown me this. But this went on for like about five weeks of just getting your fingers stamped on. And then they was like, right, here, show you this. And I was like, makes sense. Man. All makes sense. Do you, like the guys are in their 20s, do they, they just, how do you explain them? Like, you have no idea how much pain you're going to live in in your 40s because of the shit you're doing today? Oh, 
Yeah, I <coughs> you've had your hip replaced. I need my other one done as well now. I'm waiting now. I should have had mine done, but because of obviously our current pandemic, that was cancelled. Um, I'm waiting to have my hip replaced. Johnny's How bad are you? I, I'm going to tell you, I have probably the same as you. I have an incredibly high pain tolerance. Like, I'm a constant yeah. 7 out of 10, mate. It's just non-stop now. I have a very, very high pain tolerance. And it, I would say it's uncomfortable. I have had worse. But there are certain days where um, I'm pretty sore and I kind of... I, I can still walk, I can still cycle, I can still do kettlebells, I can still train, I can still box. Um, so as far as that goes, I know it's really, really bad because I've seen the x-ray, but again, with me, the pain tolerance is, is is a bit different from others and I'm not in great deal of pain. I don't use pain medication. I use CBD, but I don't use pain medication as a rule. And that's not because I think I'm a tough guy. It's because I just don't fucking need it. I don't know. There's something... So there's something like I... Think I'm coming to the point where it's going to be a regular occurrence now for me. I need to get something done about it. It's getting bad. I don't. I, you're lucky if you, if you haven't got that point. You're lucky. But I do you sleep with pillows. I have to sleep with pillows now between my legs. Well, no, what I have got it's like a pregnancy pillow thing I have, but it's like <laughs> it's like for elderly people, and it's a pillow that's kind of shaped like a little heart, but it has grooves in it, and you put it in between your legs, and it keeps the hip distance. Yeah. Without it, and it falls down like. <clears throat> And then you have to stand up and then it clicks back in or out, depending on what way you were at that point. But that's the any, any young MMA fighters out there listening to this? Oh, I'm telling you, trust us, we know what we're talking about. Well, see, I wouldn't tell anybody to stop. No, I wouldn't. I'm joking, but like, it is a reality. Take better care of recovery because my, I didn't have recovery. Neither did you. Your recovery and my recovery was going to do the door for seven hours. Aye, we didn't have a clue. The, the, the sports moved on massively as far as like, you know, professionalism. Like, it used to be you walked up, I oh, used to do go. That's the way it was. Like, I know he's six million foot, he's the only one you got. <laughs> it's but, crazy. But now I'm glad because when we were there, I got to tell you, whenever people started talking about things that are very in vogue now, which is weight cutting. Um, weight cutting for me didn't really happen. I walked around at 68, 70 kilos and fought at 70 kilos, so I didn't have to cut weight. There was no weight lower, so it didn't matter to me. Yeah. But I remember once or twice having to lose weight. I didn't really know what I was doing because nobody knew what they were doing. So you were kind of asking people what they would do. Fucking... <laughs> utter rubbish that people were coming out with was uh yeah you know don't eat after four um only eat on a tuesday when the sun <laughs> you know stand on your head at night and you're like what, what what is even going on here there was no real scientific rhyme or reason you know people were weren't even saying things have you used a sauna suit before are you limiting your calories are they counting your calories have you tried to solve that there was none of that it was just uh mad bro science bullshit based on some bodybuilding bollocks from the 50s or something. It was just so, it was so outlandish. And do you I know what I, do you know what I remember? Hmm? Sorry, go, go ahead, continue on. The reason I love that is because nowadays I'm watching guys who are fighting on, say, the biggest local shows like Clan Wars and Cage Contender and stuff like that, who are amateur fighters, but they are doing this like a fucking pro. And they have the got, attitude. Down, they've got their meal prep, they've got, their water, they've got their hydration down, they are, it, it's superb. But without people like you and me as the pioneer for doing that, they wouldn't be doing that. They it's wouldn't. not having you think, like, I don't think you're pioneers of a sport. 
specifically in a country that has produced the most popular mixed martial artist ever. I know. So, and I, know I remember. That, I remember Roland McJohn, and he had just got his blue belt. So did I. Yeah. And I, and I thought it was just like I was like, but I was going, I want a blue belt, fuck, because no one, there was no blue belts. Blue belt was a wizard. Keys was a white belt. Graham Keys was teaching. He was the white belt. Yeah. Alan Larry was a white belt. Yeah. They were, oh, everyone was white belts. Mm-hmm. So we're just learning as you go. Like I remember it being. I remember us learning MMA off a of VHS in Davy's garage. Thing we're on the floor watching it. Like pause that. Hold on, mate. Do that. Where did he put his arm? Okay, that's how we taught yeah. ourselves to learn. People do not understand how lucky they are today. You can literally go on now and type into YouTube. Whatever position you want to learn, you can type in how to close a triangle. Like, I remember first time seeing a triangle choke. Do you remember your first time bar? <sighs> Wizardry. I can tell you where that came from. I, I, uh, have you ever heard of, you probably have heard of him. There's a guy called Lee Hasdell. Have you ever heard of Lee Hasdell? Lee Hasdell came over and did, I don't know, you might have even been at it, um, seminars here. And Probably was one of those. First time I've ever seen an arm bar. And I don't even think he called it an armbar. I think because obviously the the lineage that he had, he had been in Japanese dojos. So there, there was like a pro wrestling dojo, um, but mixed in with MMA fighters, sumo fighters, all in the same dojo. And I think this was all, I think like cross arm breaker or something it was called. <laughs> Getting into these positions. I was like, fuck, what is this? And then the next time I saw something similar was with Rick Young. Remember Rick Young? Rick Young. A brutal, brutal judo exponent, a wonderful guy, the guy who did um, a lot of JKD as well. Right. So I don't know if he ever fought MMA, but his judo was frightening. And it's the first time I'd ever seen a figure four arm lock and the first time I'd ever seen a choke, a rear naked choke. And I actually used a choke that um, Rick Young showed on one of Davy's shows. Is that right? Yeah, I was a rolling forward, I rolled forward with the choke. Who's the greatest grappler you've ever went with? The guy, who's the guy? Like, I mean, all people you've ever grappled with, just you just went, holy fuck! Yeah, that you just felt so. Hodger, Hodger Gracie, Hodger Gracie, Hodger. Yeah, Hodger. One day we he, he would be over. He would be over here quite regularly, and this is before Hodger was the epitome of grappling. And it was one day in was in the old squash court in. Uh, Valley Leisure Centre. So Hodger was there. Um, he wasn't even know if he was teaching or he was just over training or having a laugh. And he says, Graham says, right, I'll tell you what we'll do. We're going to get four people to attack Hodger and he's going to try and tap us. And it's like, right, who is it? So Graham says, me, um, Gareth Lloyd. Do you remember Gareth Lloyd? Gareth Lloyd, Gareth. Yeah, there was Gareth Lloyd, me. Um, I'm trying to think, was it Hugh? Hugh, I remember Hugh. And there was somebody else. I'm trying to think who the other person. Jamie would have been. Remember Big Jamie, blonde-haired fella. Yes. Yeah. Him? No. It might have been him as well. There was four of us anyway. So we come to. We actually had this little team huddle, this team tactic, and they said to me, "Right, you double leg him instantly. He's going to come out. Double leg him. Just hold on. You're probably not going to take him down." Right. So while other people are holding his arms, literally that was the goal. Right. So out we came. Double leg shot in. Held on to him. Gareth Lloyd went to get on his back, but fell off and fell and footlocked him and Hodger tapped. I thought, well, that was easy. And he goes, go again, go again. We were like, oh, okay, but we were like, same tactic. This is it. <laughs> I'm telling you, 
I double-legged him and I just got stuck. It was like running into a wall. Just <laughs> and then Hodger proceeded literally just to use his weight. And I was like a pivot point for him, driven into the ground while he proceeded to strangle everybody else, leaving me to the last <laughs> of like this, like having a car parked on you, you know. And I was just by this stage curled up in a fetal position, <laughs> wishing for it all the end as he just laughed his way around. Eventually taking my back and choking me out. It was just like it's just scary, isn't it? Like I just don't think people understand. Paulo done it to me when I was getting my blue belt off him. And it was the it was the first time in my life I truly understood how dangerous a good grappler is. It's, he treated me like he he hated me. <laughs> I felt in that way, but I imagine drowning would be like yeah. Yeah, and like see when he put the gear over the face and you couldn't breathe. And it's like you've been grappling 45 minutes. I grappled him 45 minutes. He choked me unconscious five times. Like five times, just like, and I mean properly out. I was saying like, there's one time I was like, my, my nanny had died when I just got over to Australia. So it was coming to the end of Australia. So it was like about seven, eight months, no, nine months maybe. And um, apparently I started going, I, I came around going, nanny, it's okay, nanny, I'm okay, nanny, don't worry. I'm fine. <laughs> They were telling us, I've come. My best friend, Australian guy, Luke, he's like, Yeah, Paul, you were saying this. And I was like, Wow. It's like, well, was it? <laughs> it's going, Fuck me. But ah, the grappling's great. So it is, isn't it? It, it, it? That, as I said to me, meeting Dave um, was like the DMT moment for me, the third eye open. Um, and I utterly, utterly adore freestyle wrestling as a combat sport. It is just, I've never had, I've never done anything physically that was more demanding and I've never had more fun doing something that was so so painful yeah you know I had great fun with it but it didn't to me I just didn't get the same feeling as I did whenever I was um, wrestling I don't think uh, there's a lot of coaches realize just the position of power they're actually in for a lot of young men's lives mm -hmm. They're, like a lot of those young men, like when I was like when I owned Freddie Academy Ireland, it was pole glass. Do you know it's 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 not it's not an affluent area. It's it, you're going to have a lot of single mothers. You're going to have a lot of crime. You know, it's hard. You know, with the boxing mentality, people who know what struggle is. Yeah, the struggle and it's it, it, and life it is struggle for them, and you could be possibly the only person that could be stopping them from going down a different path, and you don't know that. Yeah. You know, I've, I've been told by, I'll never mention names, but I've been thanked by two or three fighters. No, four, three, three. Yeah, because I don't know how one. Three fighters um, who told me without the influence I had on them, they um, they would be different paths. One said suicide, one said... Prison, maybe, or something uh, Prison, like yeah. So it's just... You, you, I don't think, as you, you pointed it out, the influence of a good coach on somebody's life can never be overestimated. Can't can never be overestimated. Like yeah. those <clears throat> people that you have made a massive positive difference in their lives, they could go on to have good jobs, be productive people, have families of their own, and then produce that influence later on into somebody else. Those are generational changes. And I think it and it's something that I don't think you should be I think I don't think you should be quiet about it. I think you should tell others about that and see the positive changes it makes. I think what my problem with uh, the reason, the main reason I got out of MMA was I fell out of love with how it was turning out. 
That's seeing me. Fucking I, I just don't like... Every decade with that t-shirt. Me. It's not that you see, I understand it's a business now. It's not a it's not a martial art, it's a business. So you're gonna go where the money's at. But for me, the MMA was a way to better yourself. It was a it was like a test, a personal test. Yeah, you, of course you were young, you enjoyed the ego sort of thing, your cage fighter people tell you. You but it was it was something like the like I was my my bullying, my bullying experience as a kid. Drove me to martial arts to try to, you know, better himself. I, I used to dream of being the Bruce Lee, beating up all the bullies, and then you get your balls knocked in, and you would hear it, and you would... So I have been that down that. That's where the suicidal thoughts and all and the attempt came from. Not childhood, no trauma shit. Mm -hmm. but MMA gave me a way of finding a way to overcome that stuff. You know, it introduced me to Davy Patterson, which who was the massive... He doesn't know... Davy doesn't understand how much... Influence he's had in my life. He, he literally changed my life. He's had in many people's lives. Davy is such a cool dude. Um, I've I think I've mentioned Davy literally in every podcast I've been on or every podcast I've ever done because I I know Davy. Um, wouldn't want people to be oh. talking about him the way you and I are talking about him now because it's not in his nature. Davy no. is literally one of the most influential people in martial arts in Ireland and that is the end of the story. He is when it comes to grapplers like he's terrifying and he's so influent but he's so good with people like, like when you get to know Davy like he will do anything for you and that that it was that he instilled that sort of in me you know that's I've sort of taken that from Davy so there's an influence for a massive influence and like Davy introduced me to kettlebells yeah. You know, without Davy, I wouldn't be in the kettlebell. So, like, I literally owe Davy everything because I didn't. I wouldn't have a gym. I'd be a legend center attendant, hating my life, just accepting the bullshit. Yeah, I, funny Davy. I have I have a lot of funny Davy stories. Um, but I remember I was at it was Akuma MMA about four years, three years ago uh, with Dan Lenjak, and he was fighting for the Akuma welterweight title. And it was the first show I'd been to in Ireland since Cage Wars, where they had. TVs in the back, right? So we were sitting watching the TV in the back and there was a guy sitting watching this fight. And there was a guy on the ground and he was trying a really bad attempt at a rubber guard. And I was like, I was looking at this and I was going, I don't think rubber guard, I wouldn't be trying that in here. Like, I don't think that's an awful. <laughs> and the guy looks around at me as if I had just said to him, would you like to view some fucking kitty porn or something? And I was like, what? And, and so it went on and he just looked up and he goes, Davy Patterson can make that work. And I said, listen, mate, no harm to you. See if you told me Davy Patterson could fucking levitate, I would believe you. And to me, what happened then, unfortunately, that poor guy on the ground was he fucked up his rubber garden got knocked down. <laughs> well, I didn't actually go to the guy I told you. Yeah. And he didn't feel me. But he, he was obviously one of Davy's students. I didn't know. I'd never met him before. But to me, if... Davy could literally make anything work. And that was a great indicator to me that this person had such a belief in Davy. He knew Davy could make that yeah. work. Yeah. Davy influenced my, he's influenced my coaching style massively. Like, you know, I love Davy's devil in the detail. You know, he is so, like, it's literally, when you talk with Davy, sometimes it's like, no, your hand should be there. Yeah. Not there. And you're like, oh, he's it. Oh fuck! Right, and he's like that. That exposes the ribbon, and then you—it's just these small, and he sees them all the time. And you know, and it's for me that is like it's—it's—it's it's, it's just a natural talent you're born with, and then you just practice, and it becomes even better. I think as well, Davy had a group of people 
and I, I put it basically down to Ben Davy. He had a group of people at that time. Greg Lachlan. Greg Lachlan is the greatest MMA fighter in Ireland. And I Thomas Duncan just he was just one of the most amazingly talented guys I have ever seen. And the people who beat Greg, Greg's normally come back and beat this fucking life out of them. You know, if he lost a fight, he would like, no, I'm gonna go and change that, even if it was a a, a horrible finish. And the good thing was, Davy used to beat the shit out of us all. That's what's more bloody terrifying. I remember, oh, Greg, Jesus, he's so fucking, he was just, his fight with Dan Abrol, um, if anybody gets a chance to watch this. (laughs) Davy tries to open the kids in the room with the ring, and I was what are you doing? I remember watching that, and I think, you know, it's a very short fight. Um, It was a war, it was like, it was a left hook Dan Abrol hit Greg with at the start and put him down. I still, to this day, do not know how on earth he got. He, he came round from it. it was a fabulous shot, but not only did he come round from it, turn reverse the position and knock down dead with an elbow on the ground was. It's one of the best, fastest Irish MMA fights. Like his physique, it's frightening. He was just like he used to be a wee chunk. <laughs> Greg is a wee chunk, and then he's just this fucking like he's like car from granite or something. I always, and it's not, this isn't, I remember there was always a case where somebody said to me, like, would you fight Greg? And I said, yes, every time. Not because I believe I could beat Greg. I think Greg would have knocked me unconscious, properly, like a light. But I think I just wanted to have the experience of saying that I fought Greg. Because I, when I was watching him fight, I knew how fucking good he was. It was, it was different to everybody else at that stage for me. I used to love watching him fight. If he was, we were fought many different cards in the same shows, and I would have tried my best to get out of wherever I was to go and watch him. He was absolutely outstanding. You know, he had potential. Hugh, big Hugh, had potential. Like his his left hook was insane. Remember, he knocked your the Swedish guy out cold. Yeah, I he that I, I, I don't know what that guy thought he was doing. But he came out with the old hoist gracing with the right hand low and she just looked at him and he just bounced out of the rope. It was insane though, though. They were crazy, crazy days. Jesus. Brilliant. And you wouldn't actually get him out of today. No, you no. You wouldn't be able to do that stuff the way we don't like. I remember that first ever MMA show that was held here by David. Um we were told on the way down, like the car park is full of police trucks, everybody's gonna get arrested. This is fucking gonna go terrible. This is gonna be horrendous. And then it was like, are you still up for doing it? We're like, yeah, of course I am. You're fucking mad. I'm not gonna miss this opportunity. Um oh, was that the one I fought Keith Bradley or was that the one I fought um Anto? I think it was Keith Bradley. Keith Bradley. Bradley. That was my very first fight. Yeah. And that's what and I remember we drove into that B car park and there was like a line of police trucks. <laughs> I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> badly. That was just insane. The room was bloody mental. People were like grabbing you on the way down to the ring. There was no security. There was nothing. No one had ever fought me before properly. Like, I had never been in a proper fight before. I'd fought in the street. You know those wee kitty fights and all and wee schoolyard fights. But I'd never been a pro- I'd never been a fight before. And the, the fucking scurry, isn't it? Like that to me. But see how stupid I was. And this is an, an indicator of idiocy. Um, I truly believe I thought Lee Kelly and he's a tough bastard as well by the way <laughs> uh, I thought I just I'm going to knock him out I'm going to 
come out, I'd be going to boxing here thinking, great, I'm going to come out, I'm going to throw this jab, I'm going to fire out straight away. Because at that point, I, I should have been left-handed. People kept, because I couldn't hold pads for a side boss, so they kept fucking looking. <laughs> idiotic, absolutely idiotic. So I came out and I was thinking, I'm going to throw this, I'm going to do that. And the next thing I knew, I was pretty much my head had bounced off the bottom rope. And I was sitting up like, like a zombie. And I was like, what the fuck has just happened? And it only dawned on me what had happened was, I threw this crap jab, like, and he just fucking bang, straight in the side of the face. I didn't have a clue what happened. I only woke up when my head hit the frigging rope on the bottom room. And that was my introduction. That was my first ever, if you want, pro MMA fight with head strike. And it was I, terrifying. I went, I went into overtime with Keith. And he actually, I, he had dislocated my shoulder. He's got, he, there's a camera he put on me and my shoulder yeah. was just, not dislocated, so I ripped all my, uh, all my shoulder was bollocks, but wouldn't tap. I was like, ah! And uh, so I got into it. But I can remember for that minute, like it was three minute long fight or something. I, I think it was trying to, no, I think there were fives. I'm convinced there were fives. Well, I thought it was three. But all I know is that become the end of that round, that the only way I could, the only reason I knew it was Keith was because I could look, I could, Focus on the flesh-coloured blur in front of me. I literally couldn't see a thing. Everything was blurry. I was just fighting for my life. It was the most frightening experience I think I ever had in my entire life because you're fighting in front of all these people. Your ego's just being crushed properly now. You're you're definitely you're being exposed. And I remember trying to get the rear naked choke on Keith, and I couldn't get this arm properly because it wasn't working. And he hadn't got hadn't got the intelligence to put hooks in. And he flicked me over and then choked me out with about four seconds to go away. Was... No, Keith was really good. Oh, I was, was devastated. Keith was, mm-hmm. Keith was very, very good. Keith was a tough guy. He was into Taijutsu and stuff as well. So he oh, that's right. The sports you know what he's doing. It was like you and I probably didn't know very much. Yeah, and Keith probably knew a bit more then. You yeah. know, and that was and he was a tough fucking dude. Like Keith was a properly tough guy. They were great. Those really are the like the seed that's planted this in Ireland, and I, I not that it, I have a lot of respect for John Cavanaugh, fucking huge amount of respect for John Cavanaugh because of what he's done. Have to if you don't, I don't care if you don't like the guy or not. It's up to you, if you personally what you think of him, but to not have respect for him. Even most times when I hear things like that, I, I'm always thinking there's probably another line that people should be going. Well, I go by what I have met. John's always been there. He's always been a legend to me, a real gentleman. So, why? but I've heard so many times people use the term John is the godfather of Irish MMA. And I'm just going to throw it out there. He's clearly not. No. He's not. Because John didn't run any shows, right? John didn't really do anything as an influence. As no, I no, no I, would, I would disagree. John was a pioneer as well as much as us. Like he yeah, run, he I run the clubs down there. He, I so no, John, I know you're not meaning to disrespect me. I'm just saying, but I would disagree. I think he's done. I think you've got to think like the Andy Ryan's, the um, John. Yep. You've got to think of those guys that were they were there at the beginning. They were running clubs, and they were building what we were, what we were doing in the north. They were building the south, and mm-hmm. I think they're all. Everyone I'm needs. Not to even do. that now. When you hear, you hear like when you watch. John being interviewed on Ariel Hawani or on Joe Rogan, and he's being held up as the without John, there would be no MMA in Ireland. That's not uh, the case. No, that, that's not the case. That's just sensationalism, I think, isn't it? Without <laughs> people like Tom, without Paddy Mooney, um, simply MMA wouldn't have existed. Paddy Mooney would be the Irish Dana White ultimately at that stage. Yeah. And without somebody like that, without Davey, it just wouldn't have existed. They wouldn't have 
you know, there wouldn't be an SBGI, there wouldn't be an FAI, there wouldn't be an IFS, or there wouldn't be any of the other major clubs now. I think what Danny Core is trying to do with MMA, actually, MMA and amateur MMA is very good. And I think it, it is something that's regulated, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And if you can get a structure in place that, that basically does what boxing done in the 80s for people, because we're coming into it, we're, like the social deprivation we're about to hit here because of yeah. what's happened in lockdown and the psychological, <clears throat> the, the problem of psychology, kids are going to be suffering. Yeah. We need, and the best, way to, the best way to get over that is to find a belonging, a community. And if mm-hmm. you can find a club where you feel welcome, you're part of you, and you're, you're treated as an equal, because let's be honest, everyone is equal in the MMA cage in the, in the end of the day, you know. Yeah. You and still, even if you beat up the guy, if you're the bully, there's always going to be someone that can bully the bully to teach the bully the lesson. Stronger, stronger, faster, better, knows more. And I think what you, you touched on something there, and the current lockdown that we're in now, I discussed this with you before, my description of what I believe is on its way to us, is a tsunami of poverty and a tsunami of mental health issues. And as I described it earlier on, the water is away from the beach. We now can no longer stop this from happening. No. And I know, yes, this is a terrible disease and there needs to be restrictions to assist it, pissing off. But I just think that in this respect, we are going to have to prepare now because this is going to hit us very, very hard. And I think the poverty and mental health issues that are coming our way might be a bit more devastating in the long term for a lot of people. Um, people's livelihood is gone, their mental health is fucked. Um, I, I, I wouldn't be one of those people who would tell any lies and say that I haven't had darker times because of this. You know, you're locked in the house, you can't go to the gym anymore, you can't, you know, see your mates, you're, you're, you're literally just locked in your room. You know, it's regardless terrible. of what you think or your personal opinion of this thing, what you've got it, what you can't start denying or what you. The problem is people are denying that there are other problems. Yeah. People are dying from COVID and there's no denying it. You can't deny it, but but there's there's anomalies there. But, but there's also people suffering sexual abuse, physical abuse. And you're locked poverty. in a abuser and you can't like, help. And that is... Fuck, need to be. I, like, I have my own views on the restrictions and stuff like that, I do believe there should be some of them, I just think we've gone a bit too far, but that's the completely opposite podcast and a completely different story. But I do think that, as you rightly pointed out, there are other social issues, there are other medical issues, there are other psychological issues that really need equal sort of assistance. And it's everything's focused so much on one point that the, these other things are falling to the wayside. These people don't feel that they are being heard or, or, or looked after. And destroying them psychologically. And I just think that we're fucked up. There, there's, there's going to be a lot of businesses go out. And you know, like as a business owner myself, mm-hmm. like I have sacrificed so much to get to where I am. I like, like this, it's very difficult, really but, difficult. But the stats, there's stats that are showing that gyms are not a main spreader. <clears throat> but yeah, gyms, what gyms do is they do provide a structure for outlet. Do you know yeah, what they do? It should be closed. Um, I, haven't worked in gyms all my life most people who go to gyms are there because they are interested in their own physical and mental health so they will look after themselves they will be clean they will shower before and after they will wipe down machinery before and after and if they're sick they don't go yeah so i don't i just can't see i understand that even something things like golf and rowing and all these outdoor sports are, are are done like running rowing all these sort of things are just put on the back burner and i don't see 
scientific, I'm sure there is a scientific basis for it. I'm definitely not a scientist and I'm definitely not involved in this, but I would just like to think that maybe in the next round of restrictions being removed or released, things like that could even go back and help people to just to be outdoors again. You know, people are not spending time getting vitamin D and fresh air and being locked inside is fucking terrible for you. I don't know. It's like I don't even go down that rabbit hole right now because it's. it's oh no! But something for me. Yeah, and, no, it frustrates. I'm just saying, I'm talking to myself because it frustrates me getting, you know, mm -hmm. kills the buzz. I just think there's so much, there's so much good can happen in this world. We're just, you know, I'm, I'm we just seem to fuck it up every time. Well, a few, yeah, a few I elite. Do. One of the things I do think that this has done, um, and it has shown. You always say that crisis doesn't build character; it reveals it. Um, yeah. So. It's revealed people's character more. So people who maybe you would have thought, that guy's a fucking arsehole. And it turned out they're not an arsehole. They're actually quite a good person. Likewise, a lot of times I've seen it happen, unfortunately. Some people who you thought, oh, they seem like a well-adjusted, normal human being. Um, and they've turned out to be a full-on dickhead. You know, um, I've seen both sides of this. And I think that it's also made people more innovative in the way they do things. Like you and I are doing this podcast now by Zoom. Or yeah. I, I like this idea, but I don't think that it's the should be the, the norm ever again. I think we should be able to meet up and do this in person. Well, I've bought myself podcasting gear anyway. It's coming tomorrow, thank God, because we're going to do these for quite regularly. You may as well. It actually, I think this, this I'm, I'm happy now. You know, yeah. I'm, ch I'm chatting to someone and it's like having a meaningful conversation. And that is something that's being removed by lockdown. It is. And it's being, and I don't think, I think that's something that we all will be so fucking grateful for whenever we are returning. We won't take this for granted again. I hope we don't take this for granted again. Because as sure as shit on a dog, there's another one of these horrible things hiding somewhere else. Of course there is. Um, course. And I, I think that, but hopefully with experience it won't be as terrible i'm just hoping but you never know um i just hope hopefully hopefully um we're talking about relieving some restrictions and then that'll be there well here to brighten the, to brighten the subject or the mood up mm -hmm. talk about your podcast tell me more about your podcast how's it going yeah podcast unfortunately actually what we've just talked about is a, a bit of a Fuck. caveat to it because it's kind of stalled because of this and um, we had another guy who was doing our editing, our podcast called Not Another Fightcast, and it's with Phil Campbell, who is the commentator of the year, by the way, just one comment. Yeah, well, congratulations, Phil, well done. Um, he is a commentator for Brave Combat Federation, uh, it's a Middle East-based promotion, which is gigantic, and it is also now putting together some of those amazing fights, and you've seen it produce people like Kamsat Shemaev and stuff like that. Our podcast got going really, it started out absolutely wonderful. You were our first guest. Um, started out wonderful. Um, we really want to, we, our goal was to go to people's home environment, their gym, talk to them, get the sights and sounds of the gym involved in the, in the podcast. So we did that a good five, ten times, um, and then lockdown unfortunately happened. And during lockdown, I was able to do a few other podcasts with um, a couple of bare knuckle guys, um, Rico Franco, an absolute legend of a man. Guy has a trio of twister finishes as well in MMA, absolute beast. Um, Smudger Smith, great guy. I have Mark, uh, like Chris McNaughton on, the Northern Irish strongman, Bear Strong McNaughton, yeah. lovely human being, wonderful dude. Um, Scott and Jim Seek over here on it as well. I do have five or six shows waiting to be uploaded. Um, You're getting so, uh, Mark Goldberg. 
Bob here, Mark Garber, you know the Burn Uncle Champion? What's going on? I'm, my friend's getting me in contact with him. Yeah. Be best friend. I'm, I'm, I'm actually going to contact a couple. I really love BKB. I absolutely, if I wasn't crippled, um, I would love to have a go at it. Would you? Yes, I definitely would. Definitely would. Um, not, I just know I've had my left hand surgically corrected twice now. And Any of them, they can just be um, I think I think I would, like, I would have liked they've tried it, but the sport fascinates me. So I, I must try and contact more some of these guys and get them on because I really enjoy talking about it. It's just... It's like a real selfish thing for me because I like it so much. I want them to tell me stories of it. And everybody said the same thing. It's nowhere near as bad as glove boxing. And I believe that. I, I truly yeah, so. Because you can't hit the person all the time to the face. Well, I understand that in the sense that, you know, you're not going to take as many, but the shots you do take, it's like bony and... And I think it's more superficial damage, the cuts and stuff like yeah. rather than the concussive blow of an eight-ounce boxing glove that dissipates a large surface area of trauma. A very small area. See, they're the shots you don't really. If, if they're the shots you never really feel, it's like, boom, boom. Yeah. the ones that damage the ones that they like. I always think of myself that they're in the now damage, not the long term damage. Hence why I've got yeah. hip replacement. <laughs> you know? but, I mean, supposedly the jury's still out on the long term damage in a way. We know CTE exists, we know the damage it can cut, but we still don't really know. I suppose, is there a finite number <laughs> that you get and then that's it? You've got. You're going to get this in the future yeah. but we've seen this in our old rugby players like rugby players from the 70s and 80s were fucking mad and they took some serious brutal hits same with nfl players same with nhl players same with horse riding and we saw those guys start to get what we would have described then as punch drunk we yeah. now know that that is cte we now know upper body head and chest post-concussive or sorry uh, pre-concussive blows are causing the brain to shake more and this is leading to damage so i wonder you know i would love to know if there would be a test sadly um before the person can you know obviously the, the test is done by autopsy now um, yeah before the person passes yeah before the person passes is there something that you can do can you be treated with a drug for parkinson's can you be treated with this can you be treated with that and maybe put a, 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 a put a stop to it I digress slightly. Yes, our podcast. So, <laughs> oh, here, that's, a, that's a very, I think what you're touching on there is something that needs to be spoken about because it's a contact sport and there is inherent risk in what you're doing. You are taking physical punishment. You are you are um, accumulating like trauma, volume yeah. trauma, both psychological and like, you will always remember your first punch. You'll always remember, you know, that first flash. Yeah. <laughs> And then you realize that doesn't really mean anything. That's important part of something in your brain. That's that's a moment that you bump, your subconscious has, has, has snapped like a camera shot. Yeah. You know. Uh, so, so my goal with the podcast is as well, is hopefully um, to get our episodes that we have here uploaded. Um, I know Phil's going away here again with Brave and then to try and um, just really just try and get back into it, using maybe the medium of Zoom like that again. Um, I didn't fall in, I definitely haven't fallen in love. I love podcasts and I love the idea of internet radio. It just fills me with joy. So I definitely want to keep going with it, but I just, I'm not very good technically. I am up to a certain point, but editing for me is difficult. Um, and I'm actually okay at the editing bit of all my videos. <laughs> so Jack Aaron Stoops from Super Rad MMA and Brigade Music, they were doing our editing and the thing just um, fell apart ultimately because we were so far apart um, living on the other side of Northern Ireland. So. That's where we are with it. It's not gone. It will be back to hopefully the way it was before because I didn't want to stop it. I really enjoy it. 
Yeah, well, I'm a complete amateur. I have no idea what I'm doing, which reminds me. After this, I'm going to ask you, how do we, um, how do I do certain things? Because I have no clue what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm just enjoying chatting and having the, shooting the shit with the guys. That's what I like about that. Your style of podcast is exactly the same as mine. No preset questions. I've emailed people before about being on the show and I'm like, oh, can you email me a list of questions? I'm like, no. Why would you do that? That would be like, tell me about a time. No. Do you know what I do? I've got a notebook and a pen and we'll start talking and then I write something down as you're chatting. They go, oh, yeah, I'm going to ask them that and then I'll leave you to, and then do it. that's what I do. Right, I'm sure I'm going to evolve my systems as I go along, but right now, hey, this is a bit of crack and it's keeping me amused now over lockdown and, and chatting with people about things I want to talk to. Yeah, exactly. Um, I actually have to, unfortunately, go. I've got an appointment to keep. And yeah, I've actually got an appointment to sell me at three, so I've got to go myself. So, um, Go, but listen, thank you very, very much yeah. for having, having me on the show. I really, really enjoyed it. We'll definitely, definitely do this again because I hundred percent loved it. Um, being another guy who you obviously being involved right, in the Genesis of MMA and having both fighting the same shows, having the same experiences, having the same views, pretty much on a lot of different things. Yeah, I can't not want to do it again. You know, so hundred percent. I've got Rodney on next week sometimes, so that'll be good as well. Rodney is superb. Again, another guy. Let me. We'll cut it there. We'll cut it there. We'll go into another rabbit hole. Mate, okay. Thanks thank very you very much. much.